Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal. Chapter 40. Another Day, Another Body. Pookie went through the motions. Part of his brain paid close attention to details. Another part directed the other cops, sending uniforms where they needed to go to collect information. And yet another part was lost in the bizarreness of his partner, of what this all meant. Pookie was overweight, out of shape, and slow, but he wasn't that slow. He'd been maybe two blocks behind Brian. Pookie had turned the corner just in time to see Jay Pilar's flaming body sail into the night air. Brian was down on the sidewalk when the kid's body smashed into the van. No way Brian could have thrown the kid off that roof. Pookie had closed in, his chest burning, his stomach heaving. He really had to do something about getting back into shape. And then, Brian's crazy leap. To leap that high... Maybe Brian had jumped up, then pushed off the side of the van or the van's door handle, like those parkour guys who could run up the side of a building. Brian had been far away. It had been dark, save for the streetlights. The boy had been on fire. Plenty of variables to play tricks with what Pookie had seen. Because a man couldn't jump eight feet straight up. Brian's feet had cleared the van roof. He had dropped down lightly one black Nike on either side of the face-down burning kid. Brian had whipped off his jacket and used it to smother the flames. He'd been helping the boy. But when Brian had rolled the kid over, everything changed. Pookie knew, he knew, that if he hadn't gotten there when he had, Brian would have put a bullet through J. Perlar's brain. The crime scene investigations team was already finished with their work. According to them, Jay would have died even if he hadn't been set on fire and tossed off a four-story building. The boy had been stabbed while still up on the roof, severing an artery. He never had a chance. When the morgue van took the body away, Pookie had gone up to the roof to see things for himself. There he'd found symbols written in Jay Parlar's blood. The same symbols they'd found written in Oscar Woody's blood. Back down on the street, Pookie found Brian sitting in the back of an ambulance, a paramedic examining his head. He looked dazed. No one gave that a second thought, though. The other cops automatically wrote it off as a natural reaction to seeing a burning kid thrown off a building. Pookie scratched the stubble on his cheek as he stared at his partner. He tried hard to rationalize all of this crap, tried to come up with a normal explanation, but it was time to accept what he'd witnessed with his own eyes. The dreams were for real. It was no trick. No gimmick. Was Brian psychic? Pookie wasn't ready to believe that just yet, but after tonight he couldn't rule it out. He'd been in Brian's apartment when Brian dreamed about Jay Perlar. No evildoer had slipped in and whispered in Brian's ear. There were no microphones in the wall, no electrodes in the pillow. Brian had dreamed a kid was in danger. Then he'd shot out of the apartment, tried to save that kid just as any cop would do. An abnormal method of discovery but a normal reaction. As fucked up as it was, Pookie felt infinitely better. 
Brian had not killed Jay Perlar. If he hadn't killed Jay, then he probably hadn't killed Oscar Woody. Probably. Brian had no alibi for Oscar. He could have killed Oscar and someone else could have killed Jay. Which would mean what? That Brian had accomplices? That maybe he was working with other killers? Even if that was true, why would he murder those kids? Pookie spent at least 50 hours a week with Brian. Before last night, Brian clearly hadn't known a thing about Oscar Woody or Jay Pilar or Boyko. There was no motive. Fuck. None of this made any sense. Patrol officers were already in buildings on both sides of the street, knocking on apartment doors, looking for witnesses. Pookie didn't have any hope of finding someone who had been up at 3 a.m. and had seen the deal go down. There were no witnesses. Wait, that wasn't right. There was one person who had seen Jay Pilar up on that roof. Brian had, in his dreams. Pookie walked to the ambulance. The paramedic was just finishing up, wiping down the cut on Brian's forehead. Brian's black clothes helped hide the fact that he'd bled like a stuck pig, even left a trail of droplets all the way from his apartment to here. Pookie leaned in and looked at the sutured wound. Hey, is that just three stitches? The paramedic nodded. Yeah, not too bad. Three stitches for all that blood? Brian, what are you, a hemophiliac? Brian shrugged. I asked him the same thing, the paramedic said. Seemed like a lot of blood, but it appears to be clotting normally. No problems. Maybe it was from sprinting here. I'm not sure. Scalp wounds always bleed like hell, though. He's fine. Thanks, Pookie said. Can you give us a minute? The paramedic nodded and walked off. Pookie sat next to his partner in the back of the ambulance. Bri Bri, you good? Brian shook his head. Far from it. Panos and Moses are next if they're not dead already. You put out a call to have them picked up? Pookie nodded. Ballpuller Boyd already tried the Panos place, but Alex wasn't home. Susie doesn't know where he is. Shocker, Brian said. I know, right? A patrol car is at Isaac Moses' place, but he's also nowhere to be seen. I called a bolo for both of them. Brian nodded and seemed to relax. The call to be on the lookout went out not only department-wide, but across the Bay Area. Someone would find those kids and bring them in. Pookie took in a slow breath. He had to ask the hard question. Asking it somehow made all of this real and he wished to God it wasn't real, but he couldn't beat around the bush any longer. Okay, Brian, spill it. Tell me what you saw. Brian pointed out the ambulance's open back doors toward the ruined white van. I turned the corner, started running down Geary, and... No, not that what you saw, in the dream. Tell me what you saw in the dream. Brian looked down, not at Pookie, not at the floor, just down. When he spoke, it was in little more than a whisper. I saw Pilar. He was walking. It was like I was looking down from above, like I was tracking him, stalking him. From above? Pookie said. Maybe four stories above? Brian looked at Pookie then up to the apartment building's roof. He nodded, understanding. Yeah, 
maybe four stories above. Only it wasn't me that saw him. It was, and it wasn't. I was on the roof with this other guy. What did the other guy look like? Brian paused. I don't remember. Bri, Bri, you lie about as well as I do when I tell a woman I'll call her in the morning. Start talking. Brian reached up, his fingertips lightly touching the three tiny black stitches. You'll think I'm crazy. Dude, I'm already positive you're crazy, so tell me what the guy looked like. Brian looked down again. He had a blanket over his shoulders, his head. From what I could make out, he... He looked like a snake. What, you mean shifty? Like those fucking Italians? He shook his head. No, I mean like a snake. Green skin and a pointy nose. Pookie stared at Brian. Brian continued to stare at the ground. Green skin, Pookie said. Pointy nose. Brian nodded. Pookie didn't want to laugh, but he couldn't stop a small one from slipping out. Huh. Man, I'd love to see the lineup if we catch this guy. Well, number three, step forward. No, not the werewolf, the snake man. It was just a dream, okay? It's not like I saw a snake man in real life. Okay, okay, Pookie said. Brian was taking this hard. Who wouldn't? But Pookie still had to treat him like any other witness, walk him through the situation, rephrase questions and ask again, and so on. So what do you think is going on, Terminator? Did you know these boys? No. Before we found Oscar Woody, had you ever heard of the boys' company? No. Then how did you know someone was trying to kill Jay Pilar? Ryan sighed. He probably wanted to believe all of this even less than Pookie did. I already told you, Pooks. In my dream, I was stalking him. I wanted to kill him, just like I wanted to kill Oscar in that first dream, although I didn't know who Oscar Woody was at the time. Pookie closed his eyes and rubbed his face. He had to start making the smart decisions. Brian hadn't killed Jay Perlar, fine, but there was no longer any question that, somehow, he was involved in these murders. Partner or no partner, he belonged in interrogation, getting grilled like any other suspect in a murder case. But Pookie just couldn't do that to his friend. There had to be another angle here. Rybri, you said there were others with you in the Jay Perlar dream. You said the same thing about Oscar Woody's dream, right? Brian nodded. So do you think you could describe them to a sketch artist? Brian thought for a second, then shook his head. No, I don't think so. I can't really visualize them, you know. It was just a hodgepodge of messed up features. A young uniformed officer approached. Pookie slid out of the ambulance to meet him. Officer Stuart Hood, good to see you. Your mom won that cook-off last month. Took second, Hood said. I'll tell her you asked. Ah, uh, she got robbed. You tell Rebecca she should have won the blue ribbon. And tell her to make me some more of those hazelnut cookies you brought in. Like little slices I have in those things. Hood smiled. I'll tell her. Turns out we have a woman who saw something suspicious, Inspector. Tiffany Hines, 67 years old. A witness at 3 a.m. in this part of town. Nice work, Officer Hood. I'm surprised you didn't find a ring-tailed lemur first. Hood smiled, laughed a little, 
<laughs> but I wouldn't get too excited, Inspector. Oh, you think this is a funny situation? Pookie said. This is high comedy to you. If I'm sad and melancholy, is he going to suddenly spring back to life? Melancholy, that's a big word for you, isn't it? Just tell me what Hines said. Hood bit his lip, trying to hide a smile. She said she saw a werewolf take the boy. The last thing Pookie needed right now was a stand-up comic moonlighting as a cop. Officer Hood, I'm really not in the mood for jokes, you get me? Hood shrugged. I'm not joking, that's what she said. She said a werewolf. Well, she said the guy had a dog face anyway. That sounds like a werewolf to me. But Wolfie wasn't alone. He had a partner. Hood's chest jiggled from a suppressed laugh. She said, she said it was a guy with, with a snake face. Pookie looked at Brian, then back to Hood. A snake face. You sure? Hood nodded. He coughed, still trying to cover up his laughter. <laughs> uh, Inspector Verdi is en route. He said the case is his because of the symbols on the roof. He's coming to take over the scene. Should I give him this crazy... Excuse me, I mean this valuable witness? Polyester Rich. As soon as he arrived, Pookie and Brian would be locked out of the case. If Pookie wanted answers, he had to get them now. What's Verdi's ETA? He said 15 minutes. We'll take the witness, Pookie said. Where is she? Hood pointed to the green apartment building across the street from the white van where Jay had died. Apartment 215, he said, then walked away. Brian stepped out of the ambulance. We have a witness that saw a snake face. Pookie nodded. So it seems. That old excitement flashed in Brian's eyes, but only for a second. He looked down again. Look, man, I don't know what's going on, but I'm putting you in a really shitty spot. So here's your out. If you say the word, I'll go downtown and turn myself in. I'll tell the chief all about my dreams and let her figure out what to do next. You want me to do that? It shocked Pookie how badly he wanted to say yes. Shocked him and filled him with guilt. Brian Clouser had saved his life. They were partners. They were friends. And God help him, Pookie just flat out believed that Brian Clouser was innocent. He looked to the green building across the street. Could the witness in there somehow validate what Brian had seen in his dreams? Come on, Pookie said. I have to talk to this woman. You're my partner, so you get to tag along. Brian looked up, looked Pookie in the eyes. He nodded. They both knew that Pookie was putting his career on the line. Thanks, Brian said. I mean it. Thanks. Don't thank me yet, Terminator. Maybe you and this Tiffany Hine both wind up in a straitjacket before sunrise. Polyester Rich will be here soon, so let's make this quick. Who knows? You might actually get your monstery lineup after all. Chapter 41 The only thing we have to fear is... He had a flashlight pinned under his right armpit, its oblong of illumination dancing madly off a drawing of Jay Perlar taking a fire axe to the stomach. The beam danced because of what Rex was doing with his left hand. It was bad. It was unclean. But he couldn't stop. 
His cast-clad right hand rested on the edge of his desk, the only thing stopping him from falling down. Rex's left hand did the nasty thing. Even though he'd never done it before, he knew it felt wrong. He was right-handed. Come on, come on. He'd woken up all wet, his blanket soaked with sweat, his breath ragged and his heart beating so loud he heard it. The dream, it had been so real. He'd watched Jay Parlard die, and that had made his dick hard, so painfully hard. Naughty, awful, bad. Dreaming it was shameful, but now he was making it worse. Just stop it, Rex, just stop it. But he could not. The fingers of his right hand curled tight against the cast across his palm. He couldn't think. Come on, come on. Couldn't think. Come on, come on, come on. The flashlight dropped to the floor. He grabbed at his right hand, pulled, tore, smashed his right arm into his desk, making a big bang, then pulling and tearing again. And then, it feels so good. Come on, come on, come on. The flashlight no longer lit up the desk, but that didn't matter. He saw his drawing in his mind, a pencil sketch of Jay Perlar, eyes wide and wet, snot hanging from his nose, mouth open and pleading for his life. Die, you bully! I will kill you! I will... Come on, come on, come on, come on! Hate you, Rex said. Then his breath locked up in his throat, and his thoughts faded away. All sensations vanished all but the sound of Jay Parlar's final scream. Rex's knees buckled. He caught the edge of the desk to stop from falling. Sweat dripped down his forehead. He picked up the flashlight and pointed the beam at his drawing. Oh, no. He jizzed right on the picture of Jay Parlar's pleading, terrified face. What did that mean? Rex felt tears well up. What was wrong with him? Why did he have to do the thing that Roberta told him was bad, that she said was sinful and dirty? His right arm tingled with cool dampness. Rex held his right hand in front of the flashlight beam. The cast was gone. The skin on his arm goosebumped, still tacky with sweat that had built up inside the plaster. He pointed the flashlight at the door. The cracked, floppy ruin of his cast lay on the carpet. He looked at his right arm again. He made a slow fist. The spot where Alex had stomped, it looked fine. It didn't feel broken anymore. The doctor had said he'd be in the cast for weeks. The doctor had said that the day before yesterday. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Rex suddenly realized that the aches he'd suffered for days, his pains, his fever, all of it was gone. Gone. But that didn't matter right now. He had to clean up before Roberta saw what he'd done. 
Just leaving his bed unmade got three hits with a belt. How bad would she beat him if she saw he'd been jacking off? He'd get the paddle for sure. He was in trouble. So much trouble. The pieces of his cast went into the trash. He could dump that tomorrow while Roberta watched the morning news. He grabbed tissues from a box of Kleenex and wiped at the picture. Some of the pencil lines blurred, smudged. Would Roberta know? Probably not. She never looked at his pictures anyway. And that cast had been expensive. Roberta would freak out that he'd ruined it. Rex looked around his room. Nothing really seemed out of place. Sometimes she went days without coming in here at all. Sometimes he slept in the park and didn't even come home. Once he'd been gone for two nights in a row, and she hadn't even noticed. Maybe he could do that again. Go hide in the park or something. Maybe in a few days he could tell her the cast just fell off. Rex wiped snot away from his nose. He crawled into bed and pulled the blankets tight around him. He shouldn't have done that nasty thing. But now he felt better. He'd gotten it out of his system. Imagining Oscar's murder, jizzing to it. That was a one-time thing. It was bad, but he would never do it again. Never. But still, what if Roberta found out? Rex's breath suddenly stopped. He stared at the ceiling without really seeing it. A thought, so new, so shocking, so revolutionary, had flashed through his head, grabbed him and wouldn't let go. What if Roberta found out? No. So what if Roberta found out? So what? Father Paul Maloney, Oscar Woody. Both of them had hurt Rex. Rex had drawn them, and now they were dead. Roberta hurt Rex all the time. He could draw her, too. Maybe Rex didn't need to be afraid anymore. And tonight, he'd drawn Jay Perlar. Would Jay still be alive tomorrow? Rex closed his eyes, a smile on his lips as he fell asleep. Chapter 42 Brian Let's Pookie Do the Talking Sixty-seven-year-old Tiffany Hine didn't look a day over sixty-six and a half. Brian thought her apartment smelled exactly the way you'd think an old lady's apartment smelled. Stale violets, baby powder, and medicine. She had a high, soft voice and frizzy silver hair long past a glorious prime. She wore a yellow-flowered robe and worn pink slippers. Her eyes looked clear and focused, the kind of eyes that could see right through the bullshit of any child, or grandchild for that matter. Those eyes sported deep laugh lines. At the moment, the lines on her face showed real fear. She was old, but she looked sharp. She looked sane, and that was what Brian desperately needed to believe. Pookie and Tiffany sat next to each other on a plastic-covered couch. Brian stood by, looking out the living room window to Gary Street below, and across the street to the van where Jay Parlar had died. Brian's sour stomach threatened to twist him in knots. His head swam so bad he had to keep a hand on the wall to stop from swaying. It was usually best to let Pookie do the talking. Now it was a necessity. Just take it from the beginning, ma'am, Pookie said. I already told the other man, the one with the uniform, Tiffany said. You don't have a uniform, 
And I might add, it's time for you to get a new jacket, young man. The one you're wearing probably stopped fitting you twenty pounds ago. Pookie smiled. I'm a homicide inspector, ma'am. We don't wear uniforms, but I still eat lots of donuts, as you can tell. She smiled. It was a genuine smile, although half-hearted and a bit empty. What she had seen affected her to the core. Fine. I'll tell you, but this is the last time. Pookie nodded. As you can see, my window looks out on Geary. I look out on the street a lot. I like to watch people go by and imagine what their stories are. Outside the window, morning sunlight was just beginning to hit the blacktop. This woman had really been staring out the window at such a convenient time. Brian wanted Pookie to get to the point get to the part with the snake face, but Pookie had his own way of doing things, and Brian had to be patient. At three in the morning, Pookie said, kind of late for people watching, isn't it? I don't sleep well, Tiffany said. Thoughts of mortality, you see, of how everything is just going to end. Don't worry, young man, if you aren't thinking about it already, you will soon enough. Pookie nodded. Thoughts of mortality come with my job. Please continue. Tiffany did. So I'm looking out the window and I see this young man across the street wearing a crimson jacket. I've seen him before. He and three other boys wander the streets at all hours. I recognize them because they all wear the same colors, crimson, white, and gold. But tonight it was just the one boy. Pookie made a few notes on his pad. The boy was walking fast, Tiffany said. That's what caught my attention. He kept looking behind him like he thought someone was following him, perhaps. Then the bums dropped down. Brian turned away from the window. Dropped down? Dropped down? Pookie said, echoing Brian's thoughts. You said bums dropped down. Dropped down from where? Tiffany shrugged. From the roof of that apartment building across the street, I imagine. It was like they, like they fell from windowsill to windowsill, but not an accident on purpose. I see, Pookie said. And you got a good look at them. She shrugged again. As good as I could, considering the light and how fast they moved. They dropped down grabbed him, then went up again. Pookie scribbled. And how did they go up? Fire escape. She shook her head and stared off to some spot in the room. They went up the same way they came down, window to window. I've never seen people jump that high. It wasn't as if they stuck to the walls like Spider-Man, mind you. It was more like watching a squirrel scramble up an oak tree. They went up four stories so fast I couldn't believe it. Brian looked to the building across the street and tried to visualize what she had seen. Even if someone could climb from windowsill to windowsill, some acrobat or whatever, no one could climb those four stories with any kind of speed. Pookie nodded and wrote, as if hearing about someone scrambling up the side of a building were an everyday occurrence. That's fine, he said. 
And could you describe the men, please? Tiffany cleared her throat again. They were big, maybe a foot taller than the boy, maybe even more. They both had these dirty blankets draped over their shoulders. You called them bums, Hookie said. That was my first reaction, Tiffany said. I mean, if I saw those men on the street all bundled up like that, I probably wouldn't even notice them. You see people like that all the time, the poor souls. But these men, well, the blankets seemed to to loosen up, maybe. The blankets slid away from their faces a little. She stared off to a corner of the room. She continued in a barely audible whisper. That's when I saw the one with green skin and a pointy face, like a snake. The other one. Tiffany mimed, pulling at her nose, pulling it out a foot from her face. Had a long snoot, and it looked like he had brown hair all over it. I also saw he had brown legs covered in hair the same as his face. Brian breathed slowly. Dirty blankets, just like in his dream. And brown hair, like the brown hair Sammy Burzon had found on the blanket covering Oscar Woody's corpse. If she had actually seen this, then maybe he wasn't crazy after all. Oh, she said, there was one more thing. The one with the brown legs was wearing Bermuda shorts. Bermuda shorts, Pookie said, writing it down in his notebook. The one that looked like a werewolf was wearing Bermuda shorts. Tiffany tilted her head and narrowed her eyes. I never said werewolf. I only got a glimpse when he grabbed the boy, when the blanket loosened up a little. The big snoot, it was like a dog's, but the jaws didn't line up right. He had a tongue that hung off one side. People. She stopped, looked down to her carpet, the fear now totally in control of her face and voice. People don't look like that. Then what happened? She licked her lips. Her hands were shaking. Then I didn't see anything for a bit. Then there was this fireball from up on the roof. I saw the boy engulfed in it. Did you see what caused the fireball? She shook her head. No, it was too bright. I only saw the boy because he was silhouetted. Then he was burning. There were others on the roof in the blankets. The boy, he was still on fire and he, he jumped. Whatever was up there with him, he chose to kill himself rather than face it. Pookie lowered the notepad. Ma'am, this has been very helpful. Would you mind if a sketch artist came over? She shook her head violently, instantly. As soon as you boys leave, I'm not talking about this again, ever. But this could be helpful to our... Leave, she said. I did my part. The front door opened, and they all turned to look. No knock, no buzzer, just rich Verdi storming in, resplendent in a dark purple suit. Where the hell did that guy shop? Behind Verdi walked Bobby Pigeon, and behind Bobby came Officer Stuart Hood. Hood had a look on his face like he'd just been reamed out good and proper. Chang, Verdi said. What are you doing here? Pookie smiled wide, 
Despite the horrible circumstances, Brian knew Pookie wouldn't pass up a chance to get under Verdi's skin. Just interviewing the witness, Pookie said, on account of how we were here first because you were probably getting your sleepy time. Rich glared at him, then walked up to Tiffany. He flashed a smile as fake as the fabric of his clothes. Ma'am, I'm Inspector Richard Verdi. I'd like to ask you a few questions about what you saw tonight. Tiffany sighed and shook her head. <sighs> Please leave my home. But ma'am, Polyester Rich said, we need to... I've told my story, Tiffany said. She pointed to Hood. I told him. She pointed at Pookie. And I told him. Hopefully, Mr. Verdi, your co-workers take good notes because I'm never speaking of this again. Tiffany's voice carried the authority of a disciplinarian mother. She didn't take shit from anyone. Rich started to protest. Brian saw Pookie tilting his head toward the door. Time to get out while the getting was good. Excellent idea. Brian quickly walked to the door, followed Pookie out, and the two all but ran down the stairs. Fuck Verdi, Pookie said. He'll get my notes, but when I'm damn good and ready to give them up. Doesn't work that way, Pooks. He's the lead. Give him your info. Yeah, 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 Pookie said. He'll get Hood's notes, for starters. Of course I'll give him mine, but I'll make him say please first. That will drive him crazy. They reached the ground floor and stopped in the building's entryway. Pookie looked at his notepad, read something, then looked at Brian. You know that old bitty story is knuckin' futz, he said. She took the express train to Looneyland. Brian nodded. Totally crazy. Pookie rubbed his chin. Brian could barely breathe. Pookie slapped the notepad against his open palm. I mean, guys scaling down the wall and back up again. I'm supposed to assume it was, I don't know, stuntmen in Halloween costumes snatching a kid? Pookie stared at the notepad again. Brian waited, letting his partner work through this. Tiffany's testimony was close to Brian's dreams, too close for coincidence. After her description, if Pookie still didn't believe, he probably never would. Pooks, she used the word snake face. I didn't prompt her. You know that, right? Pookie nodded slowly. Yeah, kind of specific. Not the same thing as saying it was a black guy. Brian needed Pookie to believe him, believe in him. If Pookie did not, Brian would truly be in this all alone. Pookie sighed, smiled, looked to the ceiling. I've got the testimony of a senile old woman who was probably tripping on acid who saw something for three seconds, and I've got your dreams. I'd have to be an idiot to believe you. She's not senile. Brian said, and I didn't see any deadhead stickers in there. Pookie took a deep breath and let it out in a cheek-puffing huff. <sighs> yeah, he said, nodding. Maybe I need to take the short bus to work, but I believe you. This doesn't mean it's a guy with an actual face of a snake, Bri-Bri. These are dudes in costumes. I can't explain your dreams, but the scaling the building thing, it was late at night. Tiffany could have missed cables, ropes, your general circus paraphernalia. Brian nodded, but he knew there hadn't been ropes. And he knew there hadn't been costumes. That didn't matter. What mattered was that Pookie believed he wasn't crazy. For now, that was enough. 
Pookie's cell phone buzzed. He checked the caller ID, then answered. Like Mr. Burns, he said. Why are you calling me at 5.30 in the morning? Brian waited as Pookie listened. Yeah, almost done here, Pookie said. No, just tell me. For real? Sure, no problem. Know where Pinecrest Diner is? No, genius, the diner is closed, and I want to hang out by its front door like a skater kid. Of course they're open. Fine, I'll be there in 30 minutes. He hung up. What's happening? Brian asked. He figures something out with those symbols. Pookie held up a just-wait-a-second finger as he dialed another number with his thumb. He smiled as he waited for the other end to pick up. Hi, it's Pookie, he said, then paused to listen. Oh, please, you were probably about to get up anyway. Listen, Brian wanted me to call. He's on his way over for breakfast. Hey, Brian said, don't promise someone that... Twenty minutes? Great. He's looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Pookie folded the phone and slid it back into his pocket. Black Mr. Burns has something he wants to share. He doesn't feel good broadcasting it over the police radio. Cool, let's go. Pookie shook his head. Nope, just me. You need to chill out for a bit and get a bite to eat. Pooks, I'm not in the mood for breakfast. I still feel like I got hit by a steamroller, and you think I can chill after all this? Pookie shrugged. Whether you can or you can't doesn't matter. Mike Klauser sounded excited. He's probably already cooking the kielbasa. Brian's teeth clenched tight. Sometimes Pookie thought he knew better than anyone else. You told my dad I was coming over for fucking breakfast? Pookie shrugged. You need a break, man. I know you didn't do these things, okay? I know it. You need to stop thinking about all this for a couple of hours. You need to unplug for a bit. Go or stay, but you know how fired up Mike gets. Brian's father would already be excited to have his son drop by for a visit. If Brian didn't go, Mike Clouser would be crushed. Hey, Pooks, Brian said. You suck, cock. Pookie smiled. All I can get. They heard three sets of heavy footsteps on the stairs a few flights up. Polyester returns, Pookie said. Seriously, man, just go hang with your pops for a bit. I'm off. Catch a cab. Pookie walked quickly out of the building and headed for his car. Brian thought about chasing him, trying to go with him. But Pookie was right. Mike Clouser would already be cooking the only dish he knew how to make. Asshole, Brian said once more, then walked out of the building. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envision 
Legende docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.